Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to illustrate to you the beauty of biblical story as we see it in today's gospel in the parable. Uh, The parable is often called the parable of the tenants, but really, uh, I would say that maybe a better way of titling this would be the parable of the vineyard. And the parable of the vineyard is actually a retelling of the fall in the Garden of Eden and the rise of Jesus from the Garden of Golgotha. The parable summarizes the two most significant events in human history. It pairs man's creation and destruction to Jesus' death and resurrection. If today today's parable were a tombstone, we would be focusing on the dates and not the dash in between. This is very much so a parable that speaks to the alpha and omega of things, the beginning and the end of things. Jesus, in this parable, is preparing his church for the vineyard to come in heaven's garden of paradise. But, in the meantime, we have to deal with the tending of the garden of this world, of this earth's garden, by the sweat of our brow, as we hear, as we hear in, in Genesis 3 and the fall. Since the human race cursed itself by rejecting God's good word of protection, it is now that we live numbered days. Our, we live our lives filled then also with the fear of many things in those numbered days. We fear things such as sickness, right? We fear things like death. And we continue, because we fear these things more than God, we continue to lack a fear, love, and trust in God above all things. In short, when we look at the world and the way it lives in the fear of many things, the world remains largely religiously nomadic. People are largely lost spiritual beings, wandering from thought to thought as to who or what God is. The parable makes it painfully clear what kind of world the true God designed his earth to be and what kind of stewards, tenants, should tend to his earth. But the stewards turn to be a spoiled kind of fruit, a wild kind of grapes, and they stink up the garden. God's only choice then is to remove the bad fruit to preserve the garden. So what we see now is a remnant, a left behind of God's perfect vineyard, a mere shadow of perfection. The world is this vineyard itself, a garden with a fence about it and tenants to keep it. That means it has all the trappings of churches, and good doctrine, faithful pastors and devout Christians, But it is also a garden, a vineyard, that is filled with the spiritually homeless, false doctrine, wicked preachers and teachers, and religious exiles. The history of the world has proven to see servants of God go into all nations, only to be met with beatings, and some being killed and others painfully murdered for prophesying or proclaiming 
the word of the Lord. The parable explains that it is not that the harvest is unready, it is ready, but that the the season for fruit is near, but repentance, repentance is just for most a bridge too far. And worse yet, is the kind of grace given is a charity that most poor sinners will not accept, no matter how freely it is given. With the gift of the gospel comes the acknowledgement of things we would rather not explore, of our need, of our dependence upon God, our acknowledgement of guilt, and our accountability to God and neighbor. More people would rather spiritually starve than be fed in humility. And it's why people will do anything to feed themselves, even if it means feeding themselves a lie. God the Father knows this, and from our parable speaks about how he still, he still sends his son into the midst of a world such as this. He is persistently merciful, saying, they will respect my son. That is the love of the Father in sending his son into the world that desperately needs him. But as your father probably told you, people are not to be trusted. This is how the parable explains the desperation of the spiritually deprived and self-justifying people. If we can kill Jesus, even the idea of Jesus, the concept of what it means to follow after Christ, then we can become the heir. We can become inheritors of our own kinds of worlds our own kind of heaven, our own kind of paradise on earth. Now that doesn't make sense, but but that's exactly the point. When the human race fell into sin, it wasn't because of truly reasonable choices, but a series of bad choices that are rationalized as good choices. And so we continue on in the same type of way, a vicious cycle of sin and just self-justification. In our own defense, even though it's not a good one, we might have a comeback to this kind of condemnation under the law and say that the Father himself made a bad choice by sending Jesus in the first place. I mean, what did he expect as others before him were sent only to be killed, like the prophets, beaten and killed? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting some kind of different outcome, kind of like preaching Jesus week after week. But the Father does the insane. He sends Jesus anyhow, his only son, the heir to heaven, the garden of paradise. And no sooner does Jesus begin this ministry of his than for three short years later to him to be met with persecution, his own beatings, and painfully murdered by crucifixion. Insane. But the foolishness illustrated in the parable foreshadows a different outcome than expected by the wicked tenants. They hadn't considered how the master of the house, the father, would himself handle their wicked ways. And the parable only alludes to what we know plainly, that Jesus did not remain dead. But in fact, he rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. And charged by the Father to judge the living and the dead, the wicked tenants are powerless to stop Jesus, 
to stop the preaching of Jesus, and they will not inherit eternal life. Jesus is the beginning and the end of things eternal. From his life comes death, and from his death comes eternal life. He is the foundation of this world and is the substance of the world to come. Upon him all things stand or fall. It will be as Jesus speaks of himself. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the one who falls upon the stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is the same gusto behind St. Paul's preaching to the spiritually nomadic Corinthian people, ever wavering between their paganism and their trust in Jesus, between their love of this world, a weed-infested garden, and their love of God, who dwells in the garden of paradise. St. Paul proclaimed, the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, to wicked tenants, to wild grapes, to those who are perishing. But to us, us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What do you suppose will happen when the owner of this vineyard, this corrupted garden, comes again? What will he do to the tenants, to the people of the earth? Jesus is an unmovable stone, capable of breaking the sinner's hopelessness or crushing the sinner. That is what it means when Jesus refers to himself as a stone. When you fall upon Jesus, he breaks your sin's bondage like the splintering of fractured glass. Your sin cannot be pieced together again to condemn you. All your sins are forgiven. The alternative, the alternative is to wander from thought to thought, to starve spiritually, and at last be crushed by Jesus in his judgment over your sins. The Pharisees hearing this parable perceived this very thing. They perceived that Jesus was speaking about them, but they still did not believe, and so they inherited nothing. Others, upon hearing Jesus, fell upon the stone of their salvation, and he set them free, and they are inheritors of Christ's righteousness and salvation. So do not try to kill Jesus with unbelief, insisting on another sort of God. He is the only one, and he is a vineyard God. You can insist that he be a God who gives you hell, but he really doesn't want to. God wants the joy of his harvest, and the season for good fruit is near. The Father has sent his Son, Jesus, to you in love. What does this mean but that our parable speaks an overwhelming word of God's forgiveness for you? The vineyard of eternity is not far off. The taste of heaven is had on earth. And that paradise in the garden is the vineyard set before you to this very day at this very altar. Come and be tenants, tamed grapes in the kingdom of God. Good stewards, partakers, being filled with the very body of Jesus 
and the good fruit of Jesus' blood, that it may be said of you that you are the first fruit of the Lord's harvest, ready for the master of the house to come and bring you home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.